The Providence Journal presents Nick and Bob, the college basketball podcast for Rhode Island and around the nation with your hosts, Kevin McNamara and Bill Koch. Hello and welcome to the latest version of the Providence Journal's Pick and Pop podcast. This is Kevin McNamara of the Providence Journal along with Bill Koch. Uh, Bill, welcome back to the podcast. It's, uh, it's been an interesting week already. Kevin Mack, we are making podcast history this week. Uh, I'm here in the studio running the board and Kevin had a little personal business to tend to today so he is out of the studio at a secret undisclosed location and uh, we're actually patching him through on the phone for I, I think probably the first time in you know maybe two or three years. I think you were out at Butler at one point uh, and called in from a hotel room in Indianapolis. So it's been a little while since we've tried this. Yes, well, this is actually the first time with the uh, Providence Journal's board. I do remember that time. Uh, and I think I, what I did is I taped that uh, podcast on my personal tape recorder in Indianapolis and then emailed it to Rhode Island. I think so that's this right. Is, uh, this is truly the maiden voyage, and I appreciate the uh, background Round work of all our experts back in Providence. Um, all I can say is I'm not at a gym, so you won't hear the ball bouncing behind me. That's right. Uh, hey, it is what it is. That's right. Um, so we're going to start actually with the Friars. Uh, Providence, uh, believe it or not, is one of the hotter teams in the country right now with a second straight uh, win over a top 25 team. Maybe more importantly, second straight win over a top 15 net uh, team. Friars last night. I uh, wasn't quite sure who that team was, Bill, in the second half. Uh, jumped all over Creighton in the second half and ended up uh, winning, winning going away. 73-56 over the Jays. Outscored Creighton 41-20 to in the second half. And, uh, Bill, how about these numbers? Second half shooting. 61% from the field, 80% from the three-point line. Who, who were those guys? It felt like the two teams switched uniforms, didn't it? <laughs> you you would have expected something like that out of Creighton, who is a top 10 offensive team in the nation coming into the game. Uh, but Providence, and specifically A.J. Reeves, caught fire in the second half. The Blue Jays had 20 points in the last 20 minutes, and A.J. Reeves had 19 all by himself. Uh, you know, And that's, that's the sort of thing that he's capable of doing. That's why Providence fans were so excited when he was recruited here, because he's an elite shooter who can score in bunches. Uh, he led everyone last night with 22 points, 6 for 8 from three-point range. And you know, as Ed Cooley said, and I'm paraphrasing after the game, it's a lot easier to play when you can make some shots. Well, and, you know, I, I think that was the lead of my game story. Uh, Cooley's been saying that pretty much after every game. And, you know, we're playing elite defense, as good a defense as people are playing in the league. We, we, we just can't score freely enough. And, you know, that was not the case in the second half last night. I, I will say that Creighton is, is not, you know, one of the better defensive teams in the league, but three-pointers are three-pointers. And, you know, Providence, again, made 8 of 10 in the second half, 12 uh, for the game. Uh, very simple. If Providence can make double-figure threes, they're not going to lose many more games the rest of the season. The problem is, is I think we all know that uh, average averages say that that's not the Friar team that uh, Friar fans have seen all season. Uh, the, finding the happy medium somewhere is really what Cooley's looking for. But uh, the Friars are clearly playing better uh, defensively. You know, it's easy to get excited about the 41 points in the second half. 
but uh, to hold Creighton to 20 points, and I think you have the uh, analytics spill in, in front of you, Creighton did come into the game as one of the better offensive teams in the entire country. That They had just gone into Villanova and, and, and knocked around the Wildcats uh, only on, uh, on the weekend uh, with, an 11, with a 15-point uh, win, 76-61 at Nova. Uh, you know, this this is this is a very good offensive team that Providence totally shut down in the second half. You know, and to be fair, Greg McDermott said it after the game, and I, I thought he was you know very gracious in saying this. Providence probably should have beat Creighton twice this year. Uh, you know, had him in the late stages out in Nebraska and, and let that one slip away, and, and that sort of started this difficult stretch in the schedule, and, and it started Providence's losing streak. Uh, you know, they ended up dropping three in a row to Creighton, Seton Hall, and Villanova, but it looks like a win at Butler has righted the ship. They carried that momentum into the game against Creighton. Um, you know, did a great job, obviously, on Mitch Ballack, uh, who started making his first five shots and then missed his final eight. Uh, the Providence made a good adjustment in a timeout there. They went to David Duke on Mitch Ballack, uh, and then. You know, as McDermott said, they, they mixed in a little zone, a, a little man-to-man. They gave Creighton some different looks, uh, you know, maybe over the last 30 minutes or so of the game. And, you know, they were really, really effective. Uh, you know, in Providence now, with, with opportunity in, from the, in front of them, as we've talked about all season, um, they're turning themselves into maybe a little bit of an interesting test case for the selection committee. Your four Quadrant One wins. Uh, they went from 70 to 59 in Ken Palm, from 65 to 55 in the net with that win on Wednesday night. So you're looking at Providence now with six straight coming up against Quadrant One teams. That starts uh, at Xavier on the weekend. And you know, let's say Providence goes 3-3 three and three in, in those six games. Seven Quadrant One wins. They're going to be playing themselves onto the bubble again. No, they, they definitely have been able to, in the last two games, uh, right the ship and uh, get the fans excited about what they need to be in the NCAA tournament. And uh, be honest with you, that's, that's just so far away. You know, Providence right now, 10 Big East games down, 8 to go. Um, all I can say is they need to get the double figures at a minimum. Uh, and even if they can get to 11, if it's not the right teams, the right collection of teams, I think, Bill, you and I could probably five five wins right now, uh, potential wins out there. But, you know, if the last names are Xavier twice, St. John's, Georgetown, DePaul, I, I don't think that gets it done for you. You know, so I don't think it's a big, fat number. It's who you beat, where you, where you, you know, win, uh, where the game's played. That's what the committee looks at. And um, if one of those wins down the stretch – is, say, Seton Hall at home, well, then we can really talk. Because what Providence is going to be able to present, uh, potentially be able to present to the uh, selection committee, is one of the more unique resumes of any team in the country because they have glaring, glaring warts. But just they could have a collection of high-profile wins that other teams on the bubble just won't have. No, that's right, and and we talk about that every year. Uh, you know, the committee wants to know who you scheduled and who you beat. Uh, they're more impressed by who you beat than than necessarily by who you lost to. Uh, you know, Providence is six and four 
against Quadrant 3 and, and Quadrant 4. We've detailed those games, you know, losing to Long Beach State, losing to Penn at home, uh, you know, losing to Charleston on a neutral site, uh, you know, just some really, really tough ones to start the year, uh, you know, but you're looking at a team right now that, that does have opportunity in front of them uh, that should be feeling good about themselves and you know, Kevin, I know you, you're going out to uh, to uh, Xavier this weekend. That's traditionally a place where Providence has struggled. Uh, you know, but you're catching the Musketeers at, at maybe their lowest point. You know, within the last few seasons, uh, 15 and eight overall, just four and six in the Big East. They're coming off two straight wins: uh, one at Seton Hall, which was a stunner on Saturday. Uh, they won at DePaul on Tuesday night, but uh, this isn't one of the quote-unquote elite opponents in the conference coming up. No, it's an interesting team, uh, Bill, because Xavier began the season as probably the third pick in in the uh, Big East. Actually, I have the uh, let's see what the conference coaches picked them at the start of the season. Uh, got it right here. Uh, yeah, they did. They picked them third overall. Understandably, why? Because uh, a real veteran team uh, uh, out in Cincinnati, uh, Tyreek Jones, Quinton Gooden, Najee Marshall, you know, a, a lot of top 50, top 100 recruits, Paul Scruggs, who've seen an lo- awful lot of games. Now, last year, kind of similar to this year, in all honesty, underachieved for a big chunk of the year and then played really well down the stretch. Uh, and they played in one way, really physical, aggressive basketball, and that's exactly how they've looked the last two games. And I think um, they would say that they're playing their best of the season now, which is pretty odd uh, coming off, as you said, with a losing Big East record at 4-6. and six. But to go into Seton Hall and really just beat up the Pirates. Uh, Tyreek Jones was the Big East player of the week last week because he made 9 of 10 shots, 19 points, and 18 rebounds. And, th- and then he bounces back in the next game against DePaul, uh, a relatively easy win on Tuesday night, and he gets 18 more rebounds. So it was interesting last night. I, uh, I did not include it in my uh, game report uh, this morning, but Ed Cooley said, well, we're going to have the toughest practice of our season today, Thursday. And A.J. Reeves was sitting next to him, and he kind of giggled, and Ed shot him a death stare and said, go ahead, laugh, but bring your shoulder pads and your helmet. <laughs> right. Right. So I, I think what Cooley was saying was if there's any team in the Big East that's as physical or more physical than us, wants to grind it out, uh, the type of defense that we've seen Providence play for the last several weeks, it's Xavier. So I, that game is going to be super physical, very aggressive, and I think who can dominate around the rim and rebound the ball is going to is going to have a really good chance to win. Yeah, Tyreek Jones, the pride of Bloomfield, Connecticut. That's a guy who the locals would have liked to keep home, uh, but were unable to do it. And you know, now you got Providence playing against him uh, at this point on Saturday. Uh, I will also be on the road on Saturday, Kevin, traveling uh, to our nation's capital in Washington D.C. to watch the Red Hot Roading Rams, uh, winners of nine straight. After Tuesday's uh, 73-67 victory over UMass, uh, just another game where URI had to hold serve. Uh, they're coming off a, a nice home win over VCU, a game that they dominated in the early stages. They're up by 29 points early in the second half. Uh, ended up hanging on at the end, 87-75. And you know, Kevin, just looking at URI right now, a, a team that would be in the NCAA tournament if the season ended today. I think we both believe that. Um, you know, a team that is clicking on all cylinders and has a marquee matchup coming up next Tuesday against Dayton 
Um, can't afford a stumble in front of that one. Uh, the Colonials struggling toward the bottom of the A-10. Uh, team that's 10-13 and 13 overall, just 4-6 and six in the league. These are the types of games that you need to win to set up the big spotlight matchups. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The, the, the Rams would be in the tournament right now. I, I think they'd barely be in because they're uh, the best thing that they have going for them right now is, is domination through the Atlantic 10, which has certainly been impressive. Uh, as you said, with, with only one quad one win, you know that they have some work to do, and that work will come soon enough uh, with a trip to Dayton next week. But there's several games on their schedule the, way to, uh, the rest of the way that they simply cannot afford to lose. And one I think that's a little dangerous is Saturday. Uh, GW is a young team. I like that coach. J-Man Christian is going to be – I think he's going to get the, uh, the Colonials uh, back up to the middle, uh, if not even the top of the Atlantic 10, in relatively short order. I, I really like him. Uh, he doesn't have that type of talent now, but they're playing much harder than they have in the past. And um, you know they've given uh, some good – middle to upper level Atlantic 10 teams a push. Most recently, I believe, St. Louis. Uh, not sure if that game was in D.C. or not. I believe it was. Uh, uh, it, 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 it's a dangerous game. Uh, I, I consider GW more dangerous than, than, than UMass and Fordham and some of the other teams at the bottom of the A-10 right now. Yeah, they, uh, they, there is some talent there. Uh, you know, just looking at their their raw pieces, Jameer Nelson Jr. is having a nice freshman year, uh, the son of the St. Joe's legend. Um, they are playing a little shorthanded. Uh, the last two games they've been without Armel Potter, uh, senior guard, who is fifth in the country in assist rate, actually. Uh, you know, very capable hands in the backcourt. Uh, they really missed him Wednesday night at St. Bonaventure, a tough place to go regardless. Uh, lost 72-47 in that game. And, you know, his status is, is questionable going into Saturday. Uh, if they don't have him, you can imagine playing without a point guard against Rhode Island and Fats Russell. Uh, he's going to look at you like a piece of red meat uh, you know, and try to take full advantage. Uh, you could see him up to his usual tricks against UMass the other night. Uh, he had 21 points, 16 of those in the second half. Um, you know, Just a, a, a dominant player at this point at both ends of the floor. Added four steals on defense. Uh, you know, and Kevin, I, I know you were at the game for a fair amount. Uh, it was yep. one that, that Rody was sort of stuck in second gear. Um, but just from a physical talent standpoint, from a confidence standpoint, that's going to be enough for them in, in some stretches of games. And then all of a sudden, when they downshift into third gear, like they did midway through the second half, they're capable of these bursts. And, and they really sort of put the game away. Uh, Fat scoring six straight points, a steal, and a run-out dunk that pushed the lead into double figures, and it was all over. Well, and, and I think the person who, who, who leads that spark game after game and has that extra gear, too, plus, is Russell. Uh, you know, it's amazing, Bill. You know, obviously I watch the Rams as much as possible, see him on TV more than live. You, you see them live all the time. To see the speed and quickness that Fats has when he does turn it up to that extra, extra notch, it's, uh, it, it's pro level, in all honesty. I, I, I think... Even with his size, he has a chance to play in the big league because of that extra gear. Um, you know, we can have a podcast all about Fats's potential NBA uh, chances uh, at some later date. But uh, bottom line is, in the Atlantic Ten, when he wants to go and really go, 
there's no one who's staying in front of him. And if he's making his jump shot, he's all but unguardable because going to the rim uh, with speed and quickness, you're not staying in front of him. It's just a matter of whether he can make his shots. And obviously, he's made his shots at a very high clip all season long. Uh, hats off, but we certainly can't overlook uh, the achievement that Cyril Langevin had uh, on Wednesday, on Tuesday night, going over 1,000 points. Uh, you know, I know their careers are winding up. I'm sure you're working on some some stories down the stretch on both uh, Jeff Doughton and Cyril's really run here at at URI. It's uh, you can put it into into context, but it, it, it's historic, especially if they can make an NCAA tournament for the third time in their careers. Uh, it's very simple, Ram fans. Uh, cherish uh, these two guys and the last you know, month or six weeks or whatever their season's going to be because uh, they've really had just an awful lot of winning. Yeah, there's only one of the class that, that's made three NCAA tournaments, and, and that was 1997, 98, and 99. They made it three years in a row. Um, this would be three out of four if they're fortunate enough to, to not stumble down the stretch and, and do the job uh, and get themselves into March. Uh, and you look at those two guys, you know, they've been factors you know, right from the start. Uh, you know, obviously, Jeff Doughton uh, ascending to the starting point guard role uh, as a freshman. Uh, Jarvis Garrett very gracefully accepting his demotion to the bench and you know still willing to work for the team and, and showing great character in doing that uh, you know but it was obvious that, that Jeff with his length uh, with his decision making was probably going to be the future and you know Dan Hurley handled what what could have been a difficult situation very well um, you know Cyril you, you just look at his physicality and, and you look at the fact that he has an outside shot of finishing with a thousand rebounds as well uh, only two other URI players have done that. Um, you know, so you're you're looking at a guy who, you know, in terms of the paint and you know the the way that he brings it and straps it up every night is one of the best in program history. Um, this is also you know, to your point. It's only the fourth time that that URI has had three thousand point scorers on the roster at the same time. Uh, you know, Jeff Doughton reached that number in the A10 tournament last year. Fats Russell reached it a little earlier this year at St. Joe's in in his hometown of Philadelphia. So, you know, it's not often that they have these clusters uh, of players. You know, who are such talented character pieces. Uh, it hasn't happened very often where those pieces have come together and won as much as these guys have. Um, they're going for 10 in a row on Saturday. They've only had one longer winning streak in the last 30 years, and, and that was the 2017-18 season where they won 16 straight, uh, wound up in the top 20, uh, You know, played themselves into the round of 32 of the NCAA tournament. Um, so you're, you're, just to put it in perspective, you're, you're looking at one of the most successful four-year runs in roadie history for this class, Doughton and Langevin, and, and that goes back to you know, the culture that was created by Hurley, by E.C. Matthews, by Jared Terrell, by Hassan Martin, and, and now is being continued by David Cox and, and a lot of guys who he recruited personally. Uh, you know, Jeff Doughton was a guy who he was the lead on. Fats Russell was a guy who he was the lead on. And it's turned out that he's given himself some very nice presents uh, as he's transferred one seat down into the head coach's role. I'll say. And, uh, you know, Bill, it's a good point that they had the great run winning streak two years ago as well. And with these three guys playing a key role in that run, I think I think they carry forward some lessons from that run, 
uh, into this year. Uh, you know, it, it's not easy to be favored game after game and still get the job done uh, and have some that, you know, you have to play right to the final minute. Uh, you know, we, we've seen that a few times during this run by the LaSalle game, for example, uh, where, where the game's not decided until until the last minute. Uh, you know, that's going to keep happening, you know, down the stretch here at Rhode Island. Uh, has not been dominant. You know, they're not blowing people out by 15 and 20 points. The team two years ago did that uh, a little more frequently than this group. But but this one is, is very efficient. Their defense has been one of the tops in the country. Uh, and I really think that their rotation, uh, the tightness of their rotation, uh, everyone knows when they're going to play. Uh, they know that in crunch time, a certain little guy is going to take the shots. And that adds to so much winning chemistry that is uh, led by those three guys. Uh, Bill, we won't have a podcast before next week's uh, showdown at Dayton. Uh, I'm curious your spin uh, on that one out there. Uh, My two cents is I've seen Dayton, I'd say, two and a half games. Uh, I don't know their full health. Uh, I think that's really important because they've had a few nicks uh, over the course of the season. Uh, but I, I, I do think that they have uh, the defense to potentially slow down uh, Russell, um, and, and that's going to be the key to the game. Uh, everyone knows about Obi Toppin, and I think the focus will be on you know what Rhode Island can do to stop uh, potential first-team All-American, maybe even Naismith Award winner as the National Player of the Year. Uh, he, he's going to get his, as they say. He, he's going to be a problem. But I think Rhode Island has to be able to score with Dayton. Uh, they're not going to win that game 62-60. Uh, they're going to have to get into the 70s uh, in what really will be uh, just, just a, a must-watch game next week. Yeah, quite simply, uh, it's the best team that, that Rhode Island's going to play this season. Uh, you know, barring whoever they run into in the NCAA tournament, uh, you know, these guys are better than, than anyone they've seen. Uh, the number two offense in the country, according to Ken Palm right now, they're number one in two-point shooting, number 25 in three-point shooting. They can do it inside, they can do it outside, uh, just about any way you want. Uh, that's led by Obi Toppin, obviously, who is a National Player of the Year candidate, as you mentioned. Uh, Jalen Crutcher, the junior point guard, is is fantastic. I, I would expect him to be, at minimum, second team All A ten, if not sneak onto the first team. Uh, you know, I'd have to take a, a deeper look at it, but you know, he's a very good player. Um, you're looking at Trey Landers, who's a senior there, who's done a ton of winning. Uh, the type of guy who, you know, similar to like a TJ Buchanan when when he was here at URI, only scores it a little bit more. Um, you know, just does the dirty work, the lunch pail type of stuff. Um, and it's a deep rotation. Uh, if you look at guys who they've brought in, uh, Rodney Chapman, the, the Chattanooga transfer, is, has settled in, you know, right away. Uh, you're playing E.B. Watson, who is a transfer from Michigan. Uh, you know, Ryan Mikesell has been a four-year player there. Uh, you know, so no shortage of options for Anthony Grant. And, you know, you're looking at Dayton right now. They've won 11 in a row. They're in the top five of the net. Top six in Ken Palm, uh, top ten in the AP poll. Uh, their losses this year are Kansas on a neutral floor in overtime and Colorado on a neutral floor in overtime. So you're going to have your hands full in that game, uh, you know, regardless of what happens this weekend. Dayton has St. Louis on Saturday at home, a game that's going to be physical. You know, maybe the Billikens will soften them up a little bit in some way with Hassan French uh, and Jordan Goodwin, but you would expect Dayton to be 
uh, on a 12-game winning streak and, and welcoming Rhode Island on Tuesday night to what should be a great environment at UD Arena. Yeah, and maybe that's uh, uh, another check. Obviously, it's a huge check mark in Dayton's favor is, is that home court uh, out uh, at Dayton, one of the tougher places to play in the country. And uh, believe me, they are rabid fans and love this team. This might be the best Dayton team in long – we could be talking 20-plus years. Uh, they're that excited uh, about their team. So, um Bill, if you, if, you, if you get ill, I might be able to jump in and take that game. You should stay under wraps. You have to get to that game. You, you understand that, sir. Not on your life, Kevin Mack. You wild horses right. couldn't drag me away from that one. Uh, you know, boy. Those, those are the sort of occasions uh, that, that even the sports there, uh, writers look forward to. I'm sorry? Those are the occasions that even the sports writers look forward to. No question. No question. Um, Bryant is back in action tonight uh, and on a weekend uh, Northeast Conference uh, schedule. They host St. Francis of Brooklyn tonight in Smithfield. If you have a chance to get up there, uh, go up and see the Bulldogs. Uh, they also and they also host Central Connecticut on Saturday. Um, Adam Grant, we, we've talked about uh, on the podcast all season long. Uh, he, he, he continues to score at a nice clip, and you know it's interesting. I saw that uh, there's a chance that maybe Adam is at the Final Four. Uh, there's something called the Dos Equis three-on-three tournament, uh, and Adam is a senior nominee to play for the Northeast Conference entry in the three-on-three tournament. Uh, by the way, so is Langevin and uh, and Doughton for yep. URI. Yep. So that could be an interesting. Uh, I think you have to be a senior, so it'll be an interesting uh, selection process and how they win a lot of that down. There is a cash prize because. Uh, seniors will no longer have any eligibility and can take some cash money uh, at the Final Four. So uh, we'll see what happens there. But And also uh, Brown is at home as well in, in what is uh, a very big weekend for the Bears. They host Dartmouth on Friday night, and then Harvard comes to town on Saturday. And, uh, again, a really important home weekend. Protecting your home court in the Ivy League is really vital. Uh, Brown did it last week with wins over Cornell and Columbia. And, um, you know, need to do it again this week, uh, Bill. Yeah, I was at the uh, Columbia game. Brown closed strong on a 14-4 run over the last five minutes or so. Uh, managed to win that one 72-66. You know, could not get defensive stops early in the second half. The Lions were 14 for 22 coming out of the locker room, and then they missed their next eight shots. Uh, you know, they went almost five full minutes without a field goal. Uh, Brown really did a good job of, of locking up down the stretch, securing the home sweep of Cornell and Columbia, uh, two games that they really had to win after starting 0-2 against Yale. Uh, you put Dartmouth in that category as well. Dartmouth has lost seven straight. They're 0-4 in the Ivy League. Uh, you know, that's a game that, you know, Brown should take this weekend, uh, and then you roll the dice against Harvard, uh, you know, a team that had a tough road swing last weekend, one of the toughest in the Ivy League. They lost at Penn in overtime, and they lost at Princeton by a point, 70-69. Uh, so you're looking at Harvard, 13-6, and 2-2 two and two in the league, same record as Brown in Ivy League play. Uh, that could end up being a shakeout game as we look down the stretch and, and look at the four teams who, who are trying to get to the Ivy League tournament. Uh, you know, Brown has a chance to go to four and two. They could put Harvard a game behind them. Uh, they could have a, a game in hand in terms of any sort of tiebreakers at the end. Uh, a really important weekend for the Bears at the Pizzatola Center. 
Yes, and uh, you know maybe it'll help also that Harvard is at Yale uh, on Friday night, which is I wouldn't say the more important game for Harvard, but I can tell you that they'll be more excited <laughs> to play Yale uh, than Brown. So it'll be interesting to see what type of uh, you know physical and mental uh, situation that Harvard shows up in at the Pizzatola Center on Saturday night. But Brown needs to take care of business first against Dartmouth, and then. Uh, see what happens against a very talented Harvard team. So, Bill, this is good news. Uh, not that I don't like uh, being at 75 Fountain Street and knocking out the podcast, but I think we pulled it off. I, I think so. Uh, you know, so long as I remember to save it and, uh, you know, don't scrub it from the computer, I, I think we'll be good. Um, you know, I, I, I did want to say one thing about... Um, you know, coming into this weekend, I think we have Duke and North Carolina, and and I've been watching. You know, ESPN Classic has been replaying. Uh, well, I guess not ESPN Classic, but ESPNU has been replaying some classics from that series. Uh, you know, and I was thinking to myself, I can't remember less buzz for a Duke and North Carolina game. Can you? No, I really can't. You know, this is uh, this is the worst North Carolina team in. Boy, a long, long time. There was one in the early 2000s that I read about recently that uh, was similar. It did not make the NCAA tournament. Uh, But but even Duke, you know, I think everyone who's a college basketball fan, uh, just in curiosity, has to watch Duke a little bit. You know, I I like Vernon Carey. You know, he's going to be a a first-round pick. He's an interesting big guy. But, you know, I think Duke, I, I think maybe is hurt by like a Zion you know, rollover. You know, there's no one even close to Zion Williamson, not only at Duke, but in the country this year. And, you know, Duke is far from must-see TV like they were last year. And, again, Carolina, if you haven't seen them yet, there's no reason to see them the rest of the season. No, they're just 3-8 and eight in the ACC, 10-12 and 12 overall. Uh, the last time they finished under 500 in the conference was 2009-2010. Uh, they were 20-17, and 5-11 in the ACC, uh, you know, a team that just really struggled, uh, actually ended up going deep into the NIT, beating Rhode Island, uh, and then losing to Dayton uh, at Madison Square Garden. I think that was in the NIT championship game, actually. Um, you know, so you're, you're looking at... I remember that game. That was that was the Jim, Jim Barron coached uh, Rhodey team, and uh, Rhodey had, had Carolina on the ropes in the NIT semifinal. And, and you cur- certainly could say, and, and Rhodey fans would say, that uh, you know, there was a, a non-call down the stretch. Lamont Almer, uh, they would claim, was tripped. Uh, you know, you, it's certainly a matter of perception. I thought it was a foul uh, watching it on TV at home. Uh, you know, but I didn't have that courtside view uh, like many of the roadie fans or the officials did. Uh, you know, but that was that was a, really the last time that Carolina has struggled. Uh, Roy Williams has tried the one and done route here with Cole Anthony, um, and and it's good in principle until Cole Anthony gets hurt misses the majority of the season to this point, uh, and you don't really have the pieces behind him to fill in. Not at all. Not at all. Um, so good. Uh, Bill, uh, travel safe to D.C. Uh, don't find too much trouble on Friday night because I believe your game is at noontime. Yeah, I know you love those noon, 1 o'clock tips. That's a tough but, one. It's uh, a tough one. Foggy bottom, foggy bottom. I'm sure you'll find some fun and uh, and go get us another win all right kevin safe travels to you as well i know you headed out to xavier uh 
you know, one of one of the tougher trips in the Big East to make. Traditionally, uh, that Cintas Center can get a little wild. Uh, just make sure that you behave yourself in uh, downtown Cincinnati, and and maybe resist the temptation to slip across the river to some of those distilleries in uh, northern Kentucky. I, I know that's uh, a pretty good spot to go. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> Very good. Everyone, thanks for uh, listening to the podcast. We'll be back with you yet again next week. All right. Thanks, everybody.